Hi everybody and welcome to the Golders Podcast, where we aim to sprinkle particles of knowledge by engaging and educating. With your co-hosts, father and son duo, Keith and David Mayer. We're excited to have you on this journey with us and we know our wide variety of world-class guests will provide lots of value for our listeners. To ensure you stay up to date with everything we've got going on on the podcast, make sure you subscribe. Today, we welcome Will Trapp onto the Golders podcast. Will is a US national team player and currently plays for Inter Miami, the MLS's newest franchise. Will is the youngest captain in MLS history and he's also captained his national team on several different stages, including playing at Wembley against England and against France in their last game before the World Cup in 2018. In this interview, we talk about what makes Will such a good leader what qualities he thinks are important to coaches, and also about the path he's taken on his journey so far. Enjoy. Will, welcome and thank you for being with us on the Golders podcast today. Look, before we dive into the conversation, just share with us what it's like being back in training after being off for so long. Yeah, well, first of all, Keith, David, thank you for having me. It's awesome. It's great to, to see you guys. I know we've been on probably countless Zoom calls over the past three months, and it's good to see familiar faces and and talk about some fun stuff. But for me, um, yeah, back to some training, back to some normalcy of what we love to do, what I love to do. And um, it's been a tough, tough adjustment, I think, being away from the game. But then as soon as that first training comes back, you're like, oh, my gosh, I've missed it so much. Um, And it's been amazing, although it's been so hot here in South Florida. pretty pretty exciting that we have something to look forward to every day well you're actually you're going to be back in very shortly with games started in july is that correct july 8th we open the uh mls's back tournament with a a game against orlando so it's a nice in-state rivalry which was a random draw um so (laughs) we'll see uh we'll see how that shakes out but it'll be an exciting start to, to getting back to the play well i know Soccer's been part of your life from as early as you can remember. Can you just share with us a little background in soccer and what your formative years were like in the game? Yeah, it's, it, I'm sure it's very similar to a lot of other professional players. I mean, you just you play other sports, you play soccer, you just find that you're pretty good at something, right? And then you, you can't get enough of it. And for me at a young age, I had two older siblings that played. I was always watching them go to their practices. I would just kind of be on the sidelines trying to imitate whatever I saw. And it was, it was just a love affair. I mean, from a very, very young age, I had the ball in the house dribbling under the chairs or trying to nutmeg my mom while she's cooking dinner, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and it slowly developed into something that was, I saw myself as, okay, I, I love this game and I really appreciate it, but now I want to pursue this as, as something more. And, um, those formative years when you're young and the enjoyment of it is so important. But then as you start to mature, you are always adding layers to your knowledge base. And I think our sport is so amazing because it's, you're constantly learning new things. And, and I love that aspect of it as well. So the early days were, were certainly expressive in the sense of figuring out, okay, what's this all about? Um, and, and what I love so much about it and then taking it from there. So when growing up, well, did you have interest in playing other sports? You know, my dad played American football. He played basketball. Um, I 
baseball was also another, I mean, American sport that you, that you try your hand at. And you know what? I, I, I tried all of them and, and basketball was maybe the only other one that I, that I really enjoyed. Um, but overwhelmingly so, like soccer football was, it was life. I mean, it really was in, it wasn't too hard for me to, to make that decision. I think I was standing out on a baseball field with uh, my long pants on and a hat and it was like 95 degrees. And I looked over at my dad and I was like, no, nah, I don't need to do this anymore. I'd rather be kicking a, a ball around. So the early days were, it was good to try my hand at those things, but ultimately soccer took over. And playing other sports or playing baseball, did that have, has it had any influence on how you perform now in terms of your development? I think from, I mean, I played basketball up until middle school. So seventh grade, eighth grade. So I was 12, 13 years old. And in the winter time, it's just what you did. And I, and I loved basketball. Uh, it was something that I always found I was really good from a agility, quickness, footwork aspect. So basketball was enjoyable. I could play point guard. I could defend people. I could do those. So kind of taking that cross pollination, I guess you could say of, of skills in one athletic movement to the other, you're always seeing similarities. And, and for soccer and basketball, I think they're fluid sports where you have to change direction quickly. You have to do your best to, isolate an attacker and and keep him from ultimately scoring and that was something that i i always found really really enjoyable so that skill set was easily transverse between the two sports and at what age did you start to specialize in soccer well i think after i would say my seventh grade year of basketball was when i just decided like i'm not coming back next year i'm what 13 years 12 13 years old and that was the time where I was, soccer's all I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to move past playing other sports, and this is what I'm going to do. Um, I think I had made the decision probably up in my mind sooner, um, but I did enjoy basketball, so it was just something I did in the wintertime. But that was the time where I no longer played any more sports. And we know that you had influence within the family with soccer. Your, your late grandfather, also known as Papu, who is yep. relatively famous in Columbus, uh, mostly for being a, an incredible person, he played professionally. But there's a there's an interesting story behind how it transpired and how he ended up in Columbus. But can you just share with us that story and also his playing background? Yeah, so I mean, grew up in a small town in northern Greece. Um, always played soccer. I mean, it was just culturally is what it's what you did. Um, and then the Nazis occupied. Greece during World War II and uh, he actually was selected he was in the Greek army and they had a somewhat friendly relationship I guess you could say um, with with some of the the German um, officers and such and they would play games against each other so he actually has a he had a crazy story of he was in on goal one-on-one with the goalkeeper and ball bounces up he has a collision I think he like knocked out the tooth or something of the of the goalkeeper and the goalkeeper happened to be like a Nazi officer like a decently high-ranking officer and he hid out for like four days like scared for his life kind of thing but fast forward he came to the the states in 1950 um, married my grandmother upon arrival um, who was she was a Greek American um, and then basically started a international soccer league in in columbus where they had the germania club and 
um, a Greek team and there were English gentlemen that had a, had a team and they, they would just play recreationally um, in the city of Columbus. And that was something that he and his, his compatriots started. Um, and from a young age, he was always kind of pushing his grandkids towards, towards the, the game. And we certainly, we loved it because of his passion for it. And, and since then I've kind of taken it to a, a, another level, I guess you could say. And he was fortunate enough to obviously watch you play for Columbus. I know there's the one picture of you guys after a game where he was sat in his wheelchair and you've gone over and it was after every game you would go over and he'd be the first person that you'd address. I think for those that knew him know how proud he was of you. But with your family, I know you're very close to them. You're now based, you're based further away from them being in Miami. But how important has it been for you having a solid network of great people around you? Yeah, I, I can't overstate how incredible it was for me as a 19, 20-year-old kid now thrust into a professional environment and a professional team how having that support system helped me not only mature, but also understand the rocky road of disappointment and injuries and success and failure and whatever it is. And without it, uh, I don't know what the story would be like. It, it would be completely different, I'm sure. So I was, I've been so fortunate and I am, I am so fortunate that my family was right there. I mean, I lived at home for the first three years that I was a professional. Um, to have my parents there every day to talk through things that were happening at training to um, be able to watch games with my grandfather who lived with my parents and discuss ideas. And, and those things were just incredible. I mean, and, and I would never and could never replace him for anything. It was, it, it changed how I've, how I viewed family ever since. And we know you had the, the car at Akron. It, it finally packed in, but even after you, you mentioned that when you signed for Columbus, so you're a professional athlete living in your hometown, but you lived at home for three years. I remember the car. I'll mm. never forget it where there'd be days where this thing would not start for love nor money. And you signed at Columbus and had the car until it just packed in. But it, it obviously says a lot about you that, yeah, I know you're very grounded. I think the listeners will grasp that from you, but also very close and, and loyal to those that, that are around you. Yeah, I mean, that stupid car. Um, I think my dad, he bought me this portable charging pack that I could like plug into the wall and it would have battery juice. So if it, if it didn't start, then I could like hook onto the, um, the battery and jump it. And it, that thing never worked, first of all. And the, the winters in Akron were about below freezing on, on average, usually and snowy and terrible and the roads are terrible. And it's just like, all right, well now we're stranded and now I'm spraying this starter fluid down the starter to see if that works. And it worked every other time, I guess. And I got stuck at Chipotle probably four times getting a flatbed to come tow me out. So, you know, you take your lumps for sure. But that was, that was something where you, you learn from experience and it's looking back, it, it forms you in a way of, of trying to be as, humble as you possibly can because things could be worse that's for sure things could be worse so being grounded by all of that and having that lovely support around you obviously quite special and listening to your story about papu and having that support did your mum and dad play sports yeah so funny enough my 
my papu would never let my mom play sports. <laughs> it was like a an old world. Hey, no, women don't play soccer. They don't play sports. Like you're not going to do that. So she was a little jaded, I think, to that. Um, but my dad played. I mean, he was uh, he played high school football, basketball, um, and and was a, a pretty decent athlete. But never played soccer. I mean, he didn't play soccer until he was much older and was just kind of playing it for fun with a group of friends and. Uh, it's funny enough because you often hear, I mean, like you're, the two of you, you have a father that has played and steered you that way, right? Mine was very much almost skipped a generation from, from our grandfather whose passion was, was adamant. Um, and we just took to it. The three, my brother, sister, and I, the three of us just loved the game from a very young age. That's a wonderful story. Now, you were recruited by your hometown team, Columbus Crew. That must have been quite special for you. Yeah, I mean, I think you you have to look at Major League Soccer as a whole. I mean, I was three years old when the team was founded. In, in Not only the league was founded, but the club as well. So it was something that you just always knew. Ever since I could walk or think about the game, that club was in your mind for sure. Um, and for me, I think... It was a great outlet to play at. It was a great place for me as a young as a young player through my high school um, time in, in the academy system that um, gave me a, a great platform. And ultimately, after a year and a half in in college, they they felt like I had developed enough that they wanted to, to take a chance in signing me as a professional. So I owe them a lot uh, in terms of the development and, and the path that they put me on. Um, and I think it's it's a very exciting story I think for young players I, I would always hear from people that my story kind of gave hope I guess you could say because I was really one of the first young players that people knew about in Columbus that then made it to not only the first team but then being a constant contributor on the first team uh, and, and I know that that is something that that parents and, and kids alike always kind of drew some inspiration from because if this kid from Gahanna, Ohio could do it, then why can't I? And I, and I think that's a great message to, to kids all over the world that you can, you can come from anywhere and you can, and you can find a way to, to realizing your dreams. You did a year and a half in college. So you bummed out of college. I know. I just graduated though. Ah, good. So you, you continue. I, can read. I can read. Ah, I got no pictures. That's great. That is wonderful. So look, what age you were when you played for the first team? So I signed at 19 and then quickly turned 20. Um, so before my debut, I was 20 years old. Who was that against? Portland Timbers. Yeah, uh, it was a 1-0 win for us at home. It was. I, I think I completed like 92% of my passes. It was a good game. It was, it was funny It was because they kind of – we had a short week. And this was the last game of the week. They needed to rotate people in. And I came in. We won the game. I played well. And then it was like, all right, I started every game after that for the rest of the season because the first half of the season, I didn't play a minute. That's um, great. And you, so you, you finish off with your win bonus. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you were also man of the match first three games i believe so the first three games as a professional i know the first two definitely but i think the third one yeah. well, wasn't it might have been i i honestly don't remember i mean the first half of that year my rookie season 2013 was ru20 world cup so it was kind of a, a whirlwind of a year coming and going 
the qualifying for the U20s and the World Cup in Turkey that year. Um, and then as soon as – honestly, the first game that I was available that I, when I came home from the, from the tournament was, the, was this game against the Timbers. Um, so kind of a crazy time, but it had hit – I hit my stride at the right time. It, everything kind of aligned in a, in a perfect way for me. Um, and I tried to not look back, I guess you could say. Well, I know – I believe you still are the youngest player to ever captain an MLS team. So that came very quickly after your debut. Yeah. Yeah, so that would have been the next year. Once Greg took over, I was vice cap. He made me vice captain of the team um, behind a, a huge inspiration and uh, influential character uh, in my career, Michael Parkers. Um, and Michael was injured one game. I think we played – it was a home game against Chicago. And I was 20 – so I was 21, and I was captain that game. We won. Yeah, what a crazy moment that was. You've also gone on – so since then, your career progressed. You've captained your hometown club, youngest captain in MLS history. Career's progressed. I know you've had a few ups and downs with injuries and whatnot, but you, you then went on to play for the national team. And you've played 20 times for the national team. I believe captained them half of those games, which in itself, so you captain your hometown club, then you go and captain your country. Um, how was that? How was that experience to go from playing for your club captain into their national team and, and actually walking out as the captain of your country? Well, I think I have to, I have to kind of take a couple steps back because this would have been the, the bulk of my experiences, I guess, for the national team have only come in the past two, three years. Um, and before that, it was kind of a, a desert, to be honest. And you have to you have to kind of ride those waves, right? It's difficult. You, you work hard. You, you try to make the jump to, to get to that level. And sometimes the timing's not right or the coach isn't right or whatever. Your performances aren't good enough. Uh, and, and for me, it, it wasn't this like rosy picture of A to B to C and so on. Uh, you had to, to ride the wave, like I said, and, and take the lumps and, and learn. Um, so, we obviously didn't qualify for the 2018 World Cup. 2017 of October 2017, basically U.S. Soccer decides, okay, 2018 is going to be a year in which we're just throw it all at the wall and see what sticks. Um, and at that time, I went to the uh, national team camp, and the and the coach who was the inter, uh, interim coach for the year, Dave Sarakin, put a lot of faith in me as as a player and as a person to to be the captain. And and uh, each camp I went to, he continued to to a call me back, but also to put me in that position every single time. Uh, and I think for me, it was, it was the right time in my career. I think where I had gotten to a point where I felt secure in myself, secure in my ability, secure in my, my qualities as a leader and as a person. Um, whereas maybe years prior, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been ready for it. And it was, it was interesting because it was a constant changing environment of new players coming in we're playing great opponents it's it was it was a little bit of craziness to be honest um and i, I owe dave so so much for his confidence in me and, and ultimately putting me on in a in a situation where i had to rise up and learn and, and grow and think about how i can help my teammates um 17 18 year old kids that are playing their first national team game against brazil and you're like okay well yeah, I might be nervous, but that kid's 18 years old. Like, he's probably very nervous. How can I help him? And it, that really helped me 
kind of round out my leadership style, I think, uh, and, and trying to be a, a servant leader in a lot of ways. And, um, ultimately you, you look back at it and you almost don't believe that you play, you played 20 times or you've played those games or you've been the captain of those games because you're so focused on your role and responsibility amidst it. Right. But I think I've, I've talked to you, David, about it. And the fact that you're in a country of 350, 360 million people, you have one men's national team, you have however many players that come into the camp, you have 11 players that are going to start the game and you have one player that's going to lead the team out. <laughs> and you're like, that's me, huh? You're going to choose me for that role? Like really? <laughs> uh, uh, the weight of it hits you in, in a different way when you, when you put it into perspective. And uh, I'm so grateful, so thankful. It's incredible to really think of it uh, that way. And I have some of the banners from the clubs we've played or from the teams we've played and jerseys of guys I've swapped with. And you're like, okay, well, I'm watching Real Madrid Valencia on my TV and I have Casemiro's jersey because we played them and I talked to him after the game. You're like, okay, that's, that's interesting. Um, so very humbling experience to, I guess, wrap it up. Uh, I don't know how to really, how to say it. I mean, we can come back to some of the, some of the teams you played against, some of the players, but you touched on leadership. So you, you beat me to a little bit. I was going to ask you, so you've, Captain Columbus, you've captained the national team. I just want to go a little bit deeper into the qualities of a, a leader and what it is that you do to enhance the people that are, are around you. Yeah, well, it's, it's a great question. And, and look, I think I'm going to speak from my perspective, from, from my qualities, from who I am. And I think that's probably the first thing I've learned as a leader that you have to zero in on is who are you david keith will who are you as the individual what makes you um, a productive member of a team and and ultimately what i've drilled down on and found is i'm best when i'm providing and helping my teammates be their best selves it's funny my dad when i was a kid uh we'd, we'd be playing and he would always give me 50 cents for an assist but only 25 cents for a goal so he always kind of planted this in my mind of like helping your teammates succeed and achieve their goals and score or win is, is almost more important than you getting the glory. And I subliminally, I, I probably never thought about it until into my, my game and drilling down on that and finding that servant leadership is, is really the way for me that works. Um, I just go into trainings. I go into games thinking, how can I help my teammates? How can I take this player and his qualities if he's a number 10 and he likes to get the ball in these positions? how can I get him the ball in those positions? Because that brings him joy and that brings the team success. It's kind of a, it's not a flashy thing. I mean, it's just not. And, and I wouldn't describe my game in any ways as flashy. It's something that tries to be as efficient as possible to work hard, to find clever ways to dictate the tempo of a game. Um, and infusing those, those qualities, I found that my my role as a leader is to communicate, to give encouragement, um, and relentlessly try to make the team better. And if I'm thinking about the team, I forget about myself, and the team usually plays better, and I play better. It's kind of a, a paradoxical way of thinking, but um, you you shed yourself, uh, and and you really just look at the bigger picture. Now I'm I am going to jump back now to. The national team you mentioned brazil 
You've also played at Wembley, captained the US team at Wembley against England, which Wembley being one of the most iconic stadiums in the world and will, I think, always will be people want to play at Wembley. You look at any English player, they look at Wembley as this iconic place that they want to walk out with the, the national team. You also played against France in their last warm-up game before the World Cup. How was that experience? I mean, every game, every game was, was remarkable. I think the game against France was probably the most memorable, first and foremost, because of the stage that was set. I mean, it's their send-off game before the World Cup. They have some of the best players in the world, probably an amazing chance of winning the World Cup. Fast forward a month, they win the World Cup. But the atmosphere created there, the buzz around the game, the buzz around this team that we're playing against, and then for us to go there and, and tie the game and actually be winning until probably the 76th or 77th minute, it was special. I mean, and, and it was something that you're so proud of as a player. I mean, the amount of effort and just sacrifice in that game because you knew at any moment these players could could score and score again and score again, and, and it didn't happen. And I think people walked out of that game – with a, with a different look at us as players because we didn't just bunker in the whole time. We didn't, I mean, we, we, we did more than just defend the game, you know? Uh, and, and I always was super, super proud of that, but it's hard. I mean, David, you were there. It was just one of those mm-hmm. things where you couldn't hear a thing. I mean, there were probably a handful of, of American fans and you're not hearing anything but French songs and chants the whole game. And, um, it was a little quiet at, at the end of it, which was pretty special for us. Yeah, it was. And you touched on it, Will. I was there. So I think there'll be people that are listening that don't know. So we, we obviously met in 2011 as boys, I would say. We were, we, were, we were 18 and that friendships, it grew very, very quickly to the point where even when we weren't together, we still, we talk regular. Now... The game against France in Lyon, I came to the game. And for me, we know whenever there's an opportunity for us to meet up, we will. And with me being in the UK at the time and you were going over to France, I had to go. I had to go and watch the game. And for me, it was special to see where you've been, where you've come from and where you were at at that stage. You're playing against the best players in the world. I mean, you've got Mbappe and Griezmann and this, this huge stage where this crowd are... The crowd, are, they're going nuts. I mean, they were going, well, they were going nuts until they weren't winning and the result didn't go their way. Now, the thing that, for me, that stands out the most, and you talked about it a little bit earlier and I touched on it with Papu. After the games, you went over to him. That was the first thing you did. You go see Papu, you give him a hug. You talk about the leadership with bringing the best out of others. So I've gone to this game. I, I, I was so excited to watch. I... Just love watching you play. I love spending time with you. And the game finishes and I'm sat near the sat near the grass, sat near the field, near the dugouts. Game finishes, you shake hands and I'll, I'll never forget it. You walk over straight towards me. As soon as the game was done, you shook hands with everyone. You came straight to me, took the US handba- the armband off and, and gave it to me. And it wasn't so much the armband that did it. It was just the thought that I've traveled 
and wanted to. I was, I, like I said, I was excited. I've travelled to come and watch the game. But I think that really epitomises you as a person, that you care about other people to the point where you want to make them feel special. And our relationship is special anyway, and that's, that's going to stay. But those little moments for me, you'll be providing those for your teammates. You'll be providing them for fans. I'm sure you'll be providing them for, for many people that you, you've come across in your life. But that really, that moment epitomizes who you are and what you're about. Yeah. Uh, uh, I didn't, honestly, man, I, I guess I, I didn't I even really think about that story until just now and how much it meant to you and how much, yeah, it, it's, my mom would always say it's like, you always try to make people feel comfortable. When you see people that are struggling, they don't even have to be struggling. But if you see people in a, in a situation, just do your best to make people feel comfortable, make them feel special. And I think by doing that, you feel good. But by, you have to give something first. Um, and, and for me, that's how I was brought up. That's how I was raised. It's just ingrained in who I am as a person. And um, I don't know. I, 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 I'm glad that, A, our friendship has, we've been able to, stand past our <laughs> our chemistry exams and uh algebra or whatever classes yeah, let's we were not taking go back there. then yeah let's not go there you're right and, and to see like our story now um it's 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 amazing when you invest in people and you invest in relationships what can happen and the memories you can create uh and that's friendships that's football that's anything and i think that moment is one where you came and, and you put yourself out there to come and watch this game. And, and for me, I saw my friend in the stands and I want to go talk to him. You know, it's just, I don't need to go do anything else. Like I don't care about people wanting to take photos right now. Like this is what I love to do. These are people that I love. Let's just, let's just stick with that right now. And, and that's always something that that's just who I am. I don't, I don't know how else to say it. It's, it's something that my parents certainly from a young age tried to instill in all of us. I think we're listening to the story. I'm sat here listening to you two chit-chatting away and sharing some wonderful experiences. <laughs> what we have is uh, the ability to make people feel special. It's one of the human needs. It's making people feel significant. And by doing that, we're contributing to their development, but equally doing something for herself. I can also hear in the background there, we've got little, little Trap, little Theo, He's uh, he's making his he's uh, his presence now, which is fantastic. So he knows we got reality around it, which is wonderful. He's and studying so some film. He's studying film, is he? Got him, you got him ready. You're educating him already. Oh, absolutely. David's mentioned to it. He's mentioned about it. The played against the French. You played against some remarkable players when you were coming through your. Yeah, I guess the development stages of your of your game itself. Now, I think we're constantly developing. But who have been the best players you've ever played against? Yeah, I think I have to look at it in stages. MLS, we we, I guess you could say has has an interesting track record of of <laughs> world class players coming over, kind of at the tail end of their or twilight of their careers. But twenty fourteen 
we played New York Red Bulls, Thierry Henry, and you're like, okay, I remember watching Thierry Henry at Arsenal and Barcelona, and you obviously know his quality, but to now be on the same field and seeing the quality, albeit at 37, for me, what struck me so much about him was just the the mental speed of things. I mean, yes, physically he might not be the same, but from a mental perspective, like the decision-making, the speed of the decision-making, the ability to isolate space and, and understand the game at such a level that at times he was unstoppable. I mean, there's just nothing you could do. Even if he couldn't run past you, he would find ways to run past you, you know, just by sheer understanding of your, your body mechanics and your movements. It was, he was remarkable to play against and to watch. Um, and then I fast forward four years later um, within some of these national team games. I mean, you get to play guys like Marco Verratti from, from Italy, uh, special, special player that I, as a midfielder, you're, you're always kind of analyzing and watching guys that are in your position. And I mean, his, his ability to withstand pressure and dribble out of things and make, make you always have to be cognizant of where he is. I mean, that's a guy that I was always fond of as a, as a, as a fan and then to play against was, was remarkable. Uh, Neymar, of course. I mean, these are guys that can do anything they want with the ball and it's, it's just crazy. Um, But I think my favorite, because he's my favorite, one of my favorite players ever was Pirlo. When Pirlo was at New York City in, in MLS for, I think he was here for three years, and he played an incredible assist. That would be a scores. Game's pretty much over. And they got a late penalty, and I remember I was standing next to him, and I was kind of like, hey, bub, like, come on. Like, I got to get this shirt after this game, because this you're like, since I was a kid, you know, this was my guy. But to watch his ease and poise, and I remember – breaking down film of him all the time when we're scouting the game or just regardless. And to see like his ability to scan the field constantly, 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 constantly. And then to see based on his scanning, what his decision-making is and you almost, okay, I know he's going to make this pass because he's seen it four times. Now he's already looked four times and via also knows that he's seen it. So he's going to make the run. Um, Things like that, that I think little orts of detail that, the average fan or soccer player maybe doesn't always think about or look for. That's what I've always found fascinating um, and, and what I've looked towards. And yeah, there's, there's probably more I've missed. There's definitely more quality players that I haven't mentioned, but um, those guys really stuck out in particular. How do you mark, how do you play against those players? Cause you can't get near them. Can you, how do you defend against them? It's difficult. I mean, you a you try to you try to <laughs> hope that the tactical plan limits some of it, but at the same time, I mean, these are players that are able to change the game. I mean, turn the game on their head for sure. And I think how you play against them is you you have to be able to to have studied them ahead of time, because if you're if you're trying to learn them in the moment, it's too late. They're too good. They're too smart. And, and I think that also plants the seeds in your mind of, okay, well, yes, I'm going against a world-class player this game, but why don't I do this every game? Why don't I just bear down on these, this information and this, this habit of, of studying my opponent, but also just studying the game? And I think it opens so many doors and so many windows into higher-level thinking, more intuition on the field, and faster decision-making, which ultimately makes 
those players so much further ahead than everyone else. Hmm. Interesting. So changing tack slightly, you're playing at a, a very high level, international player, you know, into Miami. What does it take to be an elite athlete nowadays? Um, many things. First and foremost, I think there, there has to be a baseline of, of hard work, period. I mean, there's just, it's implied that, and, and I, hard work's one of those buzzwords that people say, and yeah, of course, hard work is important. But what is hard work? How do I know how hard it is? You know, I think I've always looked at it like this. I love the game. I love succeeding. And I love to work in a way that gets me past a, a level of comfort. And I think for me to work hard is to push that threshold always. And that inevitably comes with sacrifices. There's Thanksgivings I've missed. There's holidays. There's so many things nights out with friends, whatever it is, time away from my family. These are all a part of being an elite athlete. It just is because we have a short window of time to maximize our athletic ability. And if you want it bad enough, you have to push. And I think another part that I found is, is observing and listening to people, listening to people that are smarter than you um, is is one of the greatest things you can do sitting down and reading a book from something maybe you think is totally unrelated and internalizing it and then applying it to your sport. Ultimately, I think takes you to a different level, but as an elite, as an elite or professional athlete, of course there's physical attributes you have to have, but I think the biggest more than anything is a mental toughness, a mental capacity to, push past, like I talked about that threshold, what you think is possible and what actually is possible. Um, and you have to find that and you only find that by repetition and practice and then increasing that resistance time and time and time again. So you keep ascending. You know, given us an insight into the mental demands of being a professional athlete, how do you prepare mentally for games? So you mentioned about, preparing for the opposition you're quite astute you you're observing you're observing the opposition you've got a game plan to follow I guess for your own team but that aside you've then got to prep yourself you mentioned previously about being a captain working with players that might be younger than you they'd be very nervous you've got the butterflies as well how do you deal with that what specifically do you do to get you geared up and ready to give your air game? I think the, it's, it's a funny concept, um, but before a game, you have, you have the butterflies. You have that nervous energy. You have that fear, so to speak, whatever people want to call it. And oftentimes, and I learned this the hard way, Oftentimes we try to suppress it. We try to say, just relax, just relax. But what I, what I learned is like your body is preparing itself to perform. That nervous energy you're feeling, that tension is your body saying, okay, this is something different than the normal training day. I'm getting ready to perform and I have to do it at a high level and I need to get myself ready mentally and physically. And your body tells you that physiologically. 
So what I do is you almost lean into it. You say, okay, I feel this. Pressure is a good thing. Pressure makes us better. Pressure pushes us to be the best we can possibly be. Don't run away from it. And I think oftentimes, and I know earlier in my career, I was very, no, 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 just relax. You do meditation or whatever, which I have nothing against that. But right before a game, I wouldn't say meditating is probably the best thing for me. Um, I need to say, okay, let's go. This is this is your time to drum up any any emotion. It can be anger. You can be mad that the fans are going to boo the American uh, the American national anthem. You could be mad that this coach cut you from a team when you were younger. Whatever, and channeling that in a way that that allows you to compete at your highest level and to try to win. I mean, ultimately, that's why we that's why we step on the field as professionals is to win trophies. And if you don't have that edge, you're you're not going to be very successful. So I've had to learn to bring that edge out more. And and sometimes we we learn over the course of our training and such to to suppress it almost. But I think we're all competitors and and to bring that out is what's going to bring about our best performances. So will you've talked about performing at the highest level and getting the most out of yourself. But as well as that, there's going to be a coach that's involved that will play a part in your performance. Um, that'll come through different aspects, whether it be tactical, technical, etc. But for you, can you give us, in your opinion, what, what qualities players look for in coaches? Yeah, it's an excellent question. Uh, I think we all want to play. Players are all different. And finding the mixture of a coach that believes in you because, A, he sees potential, but he also sees value in your skill set in how he wants to play the game, right? For me, I've benefited directly from that situation. I had a coach who wanted to play a certain way. He needed a player in this profile to play uh, that position, and I was the one there. And for me, it changed the trajectory for my career in terms of skill set, um, exposure, experiences, etc. cetera. Uh, and, and I think what I quickly learned from this coach was his, his ability to make you feel a part of the plan, to have patience in the mistakes, in the failures, but to continue to trust you with a little bit more each time and to and almost inoculate you with more and more responsibility, more and more uh, experience and starting to discover what the learning process was. And I think this coach was, he was masterful. He was honestly masterful with how he, he would not only formulate plans, but kind of show you how you were a part of that plan. Uh, and for me, and it's something in your, in your guys's book, Gold Dust, that I thought was fascinating was just the idea of sometimes less of the soccer side and, and the football side and more of the, the person to person uh, aspect of being a coach and a player is the trust of this, this coach. Now I'm seeing that he's investing in me. He's investing in my career, which is huge, but he's also investing in me as a person. He's checking in on, on me when I would never expect him to. And, and, that's what I thought was fascinating about the book too, because I had that exact experience. I think Keith, maybe you were talking about reaching out to in one of the chapters about reaching out to, to youth players and how you're, you walk into their house and you're meeting with their parents and you're talking to the kid and it's like, okay, I'm here because I want to get a, 
better sense of who you are as a person, not just the player, because the person is on the field. He's a player, but he's also a person. Kind of rounding out that full scope of this personality and this idea of who that boy, girl, professional is, ultimately makes the player feel more a part of it. And then I think as they feel more a part of it, they buy in more, and then they start to invest back into the plan, the coach, the club, et cetera. And, and for me, I had that exact situation. And I, I'm so thankful for, for the coach that I had and, and the person that he is and the heart that he has to, to think like that and to coach like that and to just be a man that way. I think we've all experienced at some point, part of good learning is how not to treat athletes. And how has it influenced your life? If you've experienced anything like that, please share. Yeah, I mean, on the flip side, like you said, it's when, you've ha- when you have a good one, it's easy to spot the bad ones, I guess you can say, right? And that, that doesn't mean it's, it's all bad. It just means it's different than what probably makes you most successful, right? Um, and, and you're drawn to things that make you successful, period. That's just how it is. But I, I think showing people that you are upfront with the information. Yes, you can't, get, you can't tell players everything. But you need to be trustworthy. You need to be able to say what you mean and not be having other plans behind closed doors. That's a natural trust thing in a, in a locker room, in a club that just, for me, is so important. And on top of it, it, it needs to be consistent. You have to have consistency of action, consistency of communication. It can't be, hey, you're playing great this week. I'm going to talk to Johnny like crazy. And then Johnny has one bad training. And I'm never going to talk to Johnny again. Now Johnny's like, What's going on here? I thought I was, I thought we were close. We're emotional, we're emotional beings. That's for sure. And when, when you're thrust into a professional environment, it, the stakes go up and the, the pressure goes up and all those things. So it, it's on a knife edge at, at times. And I think as, as a coach or as a manager, understanding your players and getting to know them beyond the player is, it's paramount, I think. Uh, because then you can find the buttons to push. You can find the ways to approach athletes instead of having a here's the across the board way of how I do things, period. You know, maybe you're going to have some of that, but at the same time, you have to adapt to your players because they're always changing. And, and you alluded to, you mentioned the book Goldust, how to become a more effective coach quickly. We do mention about the connection and the impact and influence that has on our lives. And whether they are, this either an, a negative or positive experience, I guess we're learning now not to treat people from experiences that we at that point may feel as detrimental to our to us in the moment, but ultimately and further down the line, it, it's all part life's plan to actually help develop us. You know, playing for a club owned by David Beckham into Miami. How's that feeling? What's that experience like? Well, I, it's been amazing. I mean, I was traded here in the midst preseason. It was kind of a chaotic time. But the way in which the club has, has brought me in and, and made me feel a part of it from the word go has been amazing. Uh, obviously, David brings a whole host of, of experience, of knowledge about the game, of contacts, of everything uh, across the globe. And that's that certainly has put this club in a different position, I think, than 
almost any other MLS club just because of his attachment to it. Maybe other than the LA Galaxy, which is a club he went to. Um, and the way in which they're, they're building this project, the quality of the staff, the quality of the facilities, the, the high-level thinking of, okay, we want to win now, but we also want to win everything in the future as well. The, the ambition for me has been amazing coming from a club that's been in the league a long time and maybe doesn't have the same ambition or the same vision, I guess you could say. Uh, it's, it's refreshing and pretty cool, pretty cool to be a part of. Did he get his boots on occasionally? Did you get to see him? Well, before the coronavirus hit, he was around quite frequently watching training I mean, he's not putting the boots on and hopping in, but he's he's there um, speaking with the players. I was uh, I was very just happy, impressed, and humbled to see how how this ownership group, he as well as the other owners, were were so invested in this project, and and that's been really exciting. So, Will, final question for you: In what's been a, an unbelievable interview we've gathered from this and everybody else will have done as well that your development and wanting to keep growing and learning are paramount to you. How do you do that? What do you do? What, where do you look for your information? What is it that drives you to, to get better every day? Wow. Big question. <laughs> um, I don't know exactly where that's come from. I, I just think, the learning process fascinates me and the learning process within a skill set of the game of football and, and how, okay, I take this skill that I want to acquire. I work at it. I, first of all, I try to understand what it incorporates and then I work at it. I practice, I refine, and then I test myself. Right. And then I see, okay, where am I at now? I mean, you're always monitoring the progression of that. I've tried to look at my career in a similar structure. And there's so many books you can read. There's so many inspirational YouTube things you can watch. But I've always been drawn to books, I guess. And one I'm just finishing now, it's been kind of a half a decade <laughs> reading. It's taken me a while. It's a little heavy. It's called Mastery. It's a fascinating book. But it just kind of breaks down masters in their, in their not sport, but any field of study, whether it's Albert Einstein or – um, Salvador Dali or Freddie Roach, who's a boxing trainer. I mean, you just break it, it doesn't matter. And they look at the commonalities of these masters in their field. And something I just like learned about or read about the other day was intuitive intelligence. So, this idea that we try to break things down rationally, we try to look at things as A to B to C equals D. And we can trace it backwards and we can see how we got there right um but if you are in a dogfight as a fighter pilot you don't have time to think rationally you have to think intuitively you have to have instinctual reactions to save your life and save your compatriot's life right and there's a higher level of intelligence that comes from engulfing and immersing yourself in your field and learning so much about it that when the game comes or the performance comes there's intuition that is able to take over and adaptation that is able to take over that creates something more than you than you thought you could um so i've really tried to now think like i touched on earlier of okay how, how can i immerse myself more in 
in the game. And it's funny because our game is constantly teaching you new things and having the humility of understanding I'm not a finished product is so important because you won't stagnate. You won't stop learning if you think that way. And that concept of, of fully immersing yourself again and again, and then picking up on something that you never saw before, but you've watched this game a hundred times is, could be uh, a ticket to the next club or the next, trophy you win or whatever it is and I think having that mentality has always been something that I enjoy and I I really looked for in things and I've tried to adopt it into my own and in wanting to become a I guess some of the words expert maybe I'm going down that line is what things have you learned whilst in Miami that have been different to playing in Columbus now we're playing football aren't we what yeah you, that's, you such, that's such a good question um so our coaching staff here is all South American our coach Diego Alonso is from Uruguay he's coached a lot in Mexico he had a, an illustrious playing career in Spain um played for the Uruguay national team more than a handful of times put that way uh and it's interesting because I've never had an international coach really and getting to know him, getting to learn the South American style of coaching, of, of play, of instruction has been fascinating for me because everything is like the World Cup final. I mean, it is sink your teeth in. We're going with everything we have, every session, and it's maximum. Not that I never experienced that, but I've never experienced it as consistently as I have with, with this staff. And I think it's been amazing for me to see how being a footballer almost, it takes on a different quality. It's, this is who you are. And we are like, you do this and you don't stop doing this until you can't do it anymore. There's a certain passion level that, I, that I've never experienced before. And they bring it out in spades. And uh, I've really, really, really enjoyed it from the word go. And, and it's something that I'm, incorporating into my mentality into my sessions into my gym workout i mean it doesn't matter you can take that same concept of i'm going to give everything right now from a presence perspective and i love it i mean it truly it's been a dream for me to experience something new but then to see it done at such a high level has been awesome it sounds like is the energy it's infectious it's contagious and it's taking, driving you in a direction which is taking to that panacea to really sharpen your game. Other than being highly competitive, it's refining those little, little nuances, little maybe a little move or a check over your shoulder and knowing the when and the hows is wonderful. Well, listen, I'm quickly just going to thank you ever so much. It's been brilliant, by the way. I really enjoyed this interview. Great to see you again, by the way. Good to Great see, to see you. Too. So yeah. I'll let David continue with these thanks. But Luke, you take care of yourself. Good luck in Orlando. I will speak to you soon. All right, Keith. Great to see you. Well, I've got to echo that, Will. Obviously, our relationship, like we touched on, we've spoke about it quite a bit. It goes, goes back pretty much 10 years now. Time flies. But <laughs> it's uh, crazy. It's crazy. It's a, it's, a, it's a special relationship and it's one of those where it's not just me and you, it's the family. 
you know, your family is, is part of my family and I'm very thankful for that. And for me, I know as people, we want to have success, individual success. So as a player, I was hampered by injuries, but me watching you and seeing you succeed is, that's like the same thing for me. I get as much enjoyment and as much pleasure and that feeling of, I think, I think the word would be proud, watching you walk out, perform, hearing how you're doing. And I just want to thank you for the friendship that we have. I appreciate you taking the time. I mean, it, it goes without saying you are huge inspiration to me. Um, Dave, our friendship lasting, I mean, 10 years, I can't believe mm -hmm. it. Um, but that, that it's, it's stood the test of time. It, it continues to only get more enriched and better is it's amazing. Thanks for tuning into the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast and also you can visit our website at www.golddustmentoring.com. Thank you, everybody.